If you have this feeling like you don't fit in the mold or feel like an outside observer, keep listening to this episode. No te me vayas. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Bienvenida or bienvenidos, because I know there is several males and a little bit of everybody that listens to this podcast. So welcome. This is Jen Hemphill, your host. And I want to take just a brief moment to say, I appreciate you. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there to choose from, yet you are here. You are listening to this one. So it means the world to me. Thank you so much. Today, we've got a fantastic guest that I'm going to introduce you to, and her name is Ilona Lemonta Volkova. She is the host of the Money Memories podcast. She is also an immigrant. She's half Cuban, half Russian. She's also a graduate of the Wharton School, hello, and received her MBA from Kellogg and has spent her entire career working in financial services. In today's episode, we talk about very multiple things, but really what I want you to pay close attention to, yet I do want you to listen to all of the episode, but I want you to pay close attention to on how her father helped her define her perspective on money. I know sometimes if we go back in time to what we observe, what we heard, what maybe some things that your parents were trying to share with you or trying to teach you, we will gain something different. So take a moment to just make sure you pay attention to that. Well, let's not delay any longer. And vamos a conocer a Ilona. Bienvenida, Ilona. I am so thrilled to have you here on the Her Dinero Matters podcast. Oh my gosh. The pleasure is totally all mine. I'm so excited to be on your show, to be on a big deal podcast like this. I'm really thrilled. (laughs) You're too much. You're too much. Well, let's get started with going back in time. So take us back in time when you were maybe a little girl or a teenager and tell us about your upbringing, your experiences, lessons that you've had around money. Yes. I had a pretty unique upbringing. My father is Cuban and I was born in Cuba and my mother is Russian. And my family and I immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. And we eventually settled down in a city called Louisville, Kentucky, which is a wonderful place, but also not a place that many people associate per se with having a strong immigrant population, Latino community or Russian community. And in fact, it has strong communities of both, as it turns out. But yeah, I grew up always feeling very much like a third culture kid. Before I even knew that word, I knew that feeling of constantly being not Russian enough for your Russian family, not Cuban enough for your Cuban family, not Kentucky enough for the kids in Kentucky, and then not being 
Penn enough when I went to Penn because I was from Kentucky. I'm so used to kind of being an outside observer in every situation I've ever found myself in. And I think that that kind of point of view has really informed a lot of how I approach everything in life, but in particular around money. My family, as I mentioned, are immigrants. So when they came to the United States, they really had to build the financial foundation from scratch. They did not come here with the support of anyone, really. They just came to for better opportunities that the U.S. could provide at the time. And I was fortunate that my parents, I think, modeled really strong financial habits for me. I remember some of my earliest memories around money revolve around the lessons that my parents taught me. So my dad at a very young age started giving me an allowance and allowances. It was like a dollar a week. So it was just to get me into the habit of kind of like receiving money and taking care of it, even though I couldn't do much with it. My dad, he taught me how to balance my checkbook. And every week we would add in the dollar to see how much money I had in my checkbook. And so those were kind of my earliest memories around money growing up was always kind of my parents being very thoughtful about it, teaching me the value of a dollar. My parents are very big negotiators. Anytime they bought anything, I was always, I would feel embarrassed. I'd love to hear they go asking so many questions, but those were kind of the early formative lessons that really shaped my perception of money and shaped my relationship to it at a young age. I love it. And we definitely have a lot in common because I was born in Colombia. Mi mamá's Colombiana. My dad's American. We moved to the U.S. It was to Idaho, like Nampa, Idaho. There were immigrants there, but there was just a few people not from the U.S. I think I could count it in my and half my hand in that school. So I'm really curious about the cultural differences when it comes to money. When you think back to your mom, because you mentioned they taught you to be thoughtful, they taught you the value of money, they, they were big negotiators. Do you see whether similarities or even differences in the two cultures when it comes to money, when you saw them speaking, or maybe they were having a disagreement, whatever that may be? What do you recall? You know, funnily, I think those two cultures have a lot of things in common, which I think probably surprises people. Both are very family slash community oriented. Family is a very strong kind of underpinning in all the decisions that you make in both cultures. That comes down to financial choices as well. So for example, we have family abroad. Well, all of my family still lives in Russia or Cuba for the most part. And because my parents have been able to, you know, build a strong kind of foundation, we do things like support our family. And for both of my parents, I see them, they coalesce around that. That's never a topic. There's never a debate. If my cousin who's in Russia needs help funding his tuition. They ought just the other day they were talking about it. They're like, well, we're obviously going to support him. And they were just like on the same page immediately because for them, you support your family. That's a cultural touchstone that's very important for both. And so I actually didn't like culturally I did not see much of a difference in how they relate to money because both come from a place of scarcity mentality, right? Where it's not given to you easily. So you have to really fight for it and earn it and you have to really hold on to it. The only difference I would say that they have is in terms of just personal attitudes. I don't think it has to do with their cultures. My father is very, ever since I was a little girl, like a little girl, before I knew what retirement was, he was like, you need to save for your retirement. I'm like, what's a retirement? He goes, you need to save for retirement. I was like nine. Like, what nine-year-old understands a 401k? But my dad was like, you're Roth. That's everything. You know, like, so my dad's always been about save for later, save for later, save for later. And my mom's also a very good saver, but she was always much more balanced in terms of you need to, yes, once save for later, but once you have, you should also live for now. 
And if you want to buy something that makes you feel good, more like on clearance, of course, <laughs> but if you want to dress nicely, you should invest in that as well. So I think she was always like, save, 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 but don't forget to enjoy and spend money on experiences and vacations and things like that. So in vacation planning, my mom was always like, let's go. My dad's like, we don't have the money. And we did, but he was just so much more focused on their retirement. That's kind of the difference that I observed. More just like the perception of spend now versus spend later. Right. And it could also come from their own upbringing as well, where maybe your mom saw, I don't know, with her parents, something to what your dad was doing, and she wanted to change that. And then your dad maybe just, I don't know, because I know in my experience, my mom was your dad, right? In terms of save, 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 we don't have the money. In true story here, when I went to college a longer time ago than you, and I lived at home, and I went to a college where my mom worked because I had no other choice because there was no money. And because my mom was not big on eating out because save, 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 right? Eating out with me, spending money. She would give me some money. She, this, <laughs> she gave me a total of $10 for the week. This is in college. I mean, since $2 a day, I had to figure out how I was going to eat lunch <laughs> for the $2. I made it happen. But yeah, so I completely relate to you on all that. Mama H is a savage. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I'm curious in terms of because you had this really strong upbringing and, and how your parents spoke about money and the values that they taught you, the things that they taught you about finances, your dad taught you to balance a checkbook and all that. I'm curious what led you to a career in finance? Was it some of your upbringing? Was it something else? I'm curious to how that came to be. It actually had nothing to do with it. Both of my parents are engineers. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was a kid, but I knew I did not want to be an engineer. I was like, I don't know what you guys do, but this looks whack and lame. I don't understand what your jobs are. (laughs) They're software engineers. But I just remember from, I was like, COBOL. I would always ask, like, what do you guys do for work? And they would explain, and I never understood. And I was like, right, I don't know what you're doing. I don't want to do that. (laughs) And um, the I was an economics major in college. I studied at the Wharton School for undergrad. And my passion for that area really started in high school. I was fortunate enough as a senior to be able to attend classes. My high school had a partnership with the local university, University of Louisville. And when you reach your senior year, if you had good enough grades, you were able to take one class a semester at the University of Louisville as a student there. And then you could use then that class, that credit would transfer to wherever you went to college, whether it was at UofL or not. And I decided, I don't even know why, but I decided to take macroeconomics. It was one of the few classes that was available. And I loved it. I just fell in love from the first day. I'll never forget the professor. He also happened to be Russian. And he said, the economy is a grandiose game. It's a grand game. And I was like, tell me more about this game. And I, ever since then, I just love macroeconomics so much. And that happened to coincide with the fall of my senior year, which is when I was applying to colleges. So I knew, I was like, I love this subject. I want to continue to study it. And I also had a passion for international affairs, given my own upbringing and my experience. So I got to go to every summer I spent going to Russia as a child. And so I was always kind of seeing both worlds and just observing that like things are done differently in different places. And what's the regular way of doing things in one place isn't regular for another place, but both of them exist in the same world and are correct. And so I just had a passion for that as well. 
And that's what motivated me to apply to the, the program that I got into, just the Huntsman program, which is actually a dual degree program with the Wharton School and the College of Art and Sciences. And it was like my dream came true because I had a chance to study abroad in Germany to study, fulfill my passion for language, as well as get a really strong financial foundation. So that's really the motivation was this accidental class I took in high school. And because I had the, like an economics foundation, I always kind of approached things more from the business slash corporate finance side. And it wasn't until very recently that I started to think more about personal finance and talking about that per se. But my passion was always in like the world and how it's interconnected. And for me, finance is what connects everything in the world. It was just like, it's like one of the few aha moments I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it was like, when I asked people, I'm like, how, how'd you pick your major? And like, I'm like, no, for me, I was lucky that like, it really, it just, I couldn't think of any other way. There was no other doubt in my mind. That was it. So interesting. I wasn't expecting that. I was thinking, no, there was something <laughs> in her upbringing. But yeah, I, in my family, there's a ton of engineers and I knew that was not what, what I wanted to do. <laughs> I still don't understand it either. So it's all good. Before we continue, I have a brief message to share. Her Dinero Matters is supported by First Republic Bank. First Republic Bank has made it their mission to understand their clients' needs and provide them an unparalleled level of service. With a relationship-based approach to banking, First Republic provides tailored solutions to individuals and businesses with their financial needs. At any stage of life, whether it's opening a savings account, buying your first home, or starting a family, First Republic's commitment to personal service is designed to change the way you feel about banking. See how putting clients first always comes first at First Republic Bank. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com Member FDIC equal housing lender. And you also, because you just mentioned your main interest when it came to economics is how money ties into the world. And then just recently you started looking into more of the personal finance. You have a podcast called Money Memories. So tell us about that podcast and how it came to be. Yeah. So Money Memories is about to be a year old. It'll be a year old in July. And the motivation for that show really started when I created my blog called Bear in the Bull, which was initially a bilingual financial literacy blog where I wanted to write a before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. About different topics in finance that I thought people felt overwhelmed by and kind of demystify them. But very quickly, I learned that there's kind of like a lot of bloggers already doing that. <laughs> and working for SEO is a nightmare for stuff like that. And not that I don't have a passion for it, I do, but I realized there's got to be a different way to talk to people about money than what people are already talking about. And I was talking to someone and I said something like my earliest money memory. And that was like the second aha moment I ever had in my life. The first one was majoring in economics. Second one was starting my podcast. 
And I shared my, one of my earliest money memories of going to the bank with my dad. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if I created a podcast where I asked different guests about their earliest money memories? And I have wanted to start a podcast, but I never wanted to do it on my own because the idea of editing my own voice is, I still hate it. I like scream on the inside, but I was like, this way I can start my show and it's not about me. It's about the guests. And I was also really excited by being able to feature different stories and different perspectives. Because one thing that I started noticing when I talked to people about money is they would always say things like, oh, probably no one else can relate to this, or I must be the only one. And I was like, actually, you're like the fifth or sixth person I've heard had like talk about the same anxiety. So while we each of us have our own different anxieties, they're not necessarily like unique in like terms of the world. And so my goal with the show was to, by highlighting different guests from different backgrounds, industries, perspectives, rich, poor, college-educated, not college-educated, tattoo artists, startup founders. I wanted like to show, like, look at the commonality here. Like, They each have different experiences of money, but I promise you, if you listen to at least one episode, you're going to find someone whose story resonates with you. And that was really my goal, was to highlight that our concerns about money shouldn't have to feel so internal. They're actually like part of the shared human experience. And so why not talk about it? I love it because, of course, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast, as you experience, is the money stories, which is related to the money memories, I think is such a foundational piece to our own personal finance journey. Because if we understand that and we are aware of our money stories, of our money memories, we're able to understand why we think the way we do about money and it's just creating an awareness on that and I'm so glad that you are doing that I'm taking a quick second to interrupt your listening to remind you this show relies on your support to continue to grow if you get a ton of value it would mean everything. If you can hit the follow button on wherever you listen to, share with a friend and give us a quick and honest review. Gracias y te mando muchos abrazos. Now you also, you said you didn't want to do this alone. So you didn't want to do the podcast alone. Were you meaning you wanted to bring other people? Is that what you meant? So I was like, there's no way I can start a podcast. That's ridiculous. Like you need to do it with someone. All the podcasts I listen to, like they're either Terry Gross, who's like a legend and is Terry Gross, or they were like a duo. And I always thought you needed the banter of a duo if you were going to start your own show. So when I realized I could do an interview style format, that's kind of like solving my problem that I had created in my head. Because I just... I know many people, it's funny because now that I started Money Memories, more and more people are asking for my, they're like, what's yours? What's yours? And I was like, I did this whole show to not be on my show. <laughs> I did have one episode about this, but like, it's interesting because to me, it was like the hurdle. It was the barrier to entry was my own belief that no one wants to hear my story and who would want to hear me talk. But if I get other people to talk, I can highlight their stories. But now that I'm doing it more, I've come around to it and I see the the value in it. I'm still terrified of it. (laughs) That's so funny. It will wear off. Like you said, you're in year one. It'll wear off. I promise you. I promise you. I hope so. (laughs) You've got this. Now, 
Uh, what as a Latina, of course, you're Latina and Russian. For Latinas, what would you say is your best piece of advice, financial advice for Latinas? Because we're here on this podcast to empower Latinas, to help them become more confident, become what I say, reinas of their money. So what would you say is your best piece of advice from things that you have seen, observed, whether in your friends and your family, whatever that may be? I love that expression, reinas. Re, like, you know, <laughs> la reina del sur, we could be like, la reina de las finanzas. Um, <laughs> I think that, I don't know if this is related to money per se. I'll think of a money piece of advice. But one thing that I would say is that oftentimes voices like ours are not represented in mainstream media and especially not represented in financial conversations. The types of women contributors that I tend to see are, they tend to fit the same mold. And it could be misleading because you can start to think that Like, for example, I shared earlier the anecdote about how my parents help support their family. Well, if you're a child of an immigrant or you come from a cultural background where that's kind of ingrained in your psychology, some of this advice might feel like almost like an affront to your own sensibilities because you're like, well, I have this other thing that's really important to me, but no one talks about it. So does that mean the other thing is wrong and like I shouldn't think about that at all? Or does that mean that this is like incorrect? And I would say that just because it's not talked about doesn't mean it's wrong. And just because it's not in represented and widely discussed doesn't mean it's incorrect or that it's kind of, what's that word I'm trying to say that doesn't have power? I think that's the importance of having perspectives like ours in the show is that we can talk to different experiences and we can share stories about financial planning that aren't necessarily part of the mainstream conversation, but to like billions of people in the world is the mainstream conversation. So just because it's not in your bubble doesn't mean it's not happening to other people. So that's kind of related to the advice I would give is that like ultimately personal finance is personal. And while you do have to make good choices to make sure that you're setting yourself up for a strong foundation, there comes a point at which you suddenly have choices. And there's kind of like, this is going to be a horrible comparison, but I tore my ACL several years ago and I was going through the decision of like, if I were to get surgery, what do you use to replace it with? There's like the patellar tendon or the hamstring patellar tendon. Like I just couldn't, I was like, which one? And different surgeons were like this one or that, like each surgeon had their own recommendation. And then ultimately I was like, so I can't decide. And I think the reason I can't decide is because there's no wrong choice. (laughs) Like there's really like, well, like you're screwed. You don't have an ACL. That sucks. But like the way forward, there's no, like one is not going to cause you like decline. They're both ultimately like good. And I think you reach a level in financial planning where suddenly you reach these points, right? Where you're like, I could do this. I could do that. And like, what makes it even harder is that there's no obvious wrong choice. And so you just have to kind of go back to what is, it's a personal decision and you have to make the choice that's right for you because sometimes there is no clear wrong. (laughs) There's no clear winner because both options are very valid. Yeah. And you just have to trust yourself that you're doing. Trust yourself, trust your gut, and uh, be confident in that decision that you're making for yourself. I think the main caveat, obviously, being that we're assuming you have a strong financial foundation. Like you should, no one should ever make financial choices that hurt themselves. Like you should never, like if assisting someone else is going to cause you financial ruin, I don't think that's something that anyone would recommend as a friend, as anyone, right? So the caveat being like, Once your house is in order (laughs) and once you feel like you're on a strong foundation, the choices become much less black or white. And that can feel a little bit confusing, but know that that's part of it's fine because that's how it's supposed to be at that point. 
Absolutely. And then one last question that I'm curious about too, you being a Latina and you being in the world of finance, because I don't know how long you've been in the corporate sector. How have you seen things change or not? Are you seeing more Latinas or not really? I can't say I've seen more. Maybe I haven't been in the environments where that's more common. I still see the challenge of being an outsider in your chosen industry, whether that's being a woman in finance, a Latina in finance. I always observe that. And I find that company cultures, especially in the U.S., are very like U.S.-centric. So if you even come from it from like a global point of view, people are already looking at you a little bit crazy <laughs> and things like that. So I actually don't think that it's changed that much. And I actually, like the other day, I had someone use an adjective that I find very tiresome and cliche, and I wouldn't mind if you retired it. She's like, oh, like you, she's a fiery personality. And I was like, what does this woman who's old enough to be my mother, like, and I have in common just because we're both speak Spanish. Like we have like crazy different upbringing, you know? And I was like, fiery, fiery. And I was like, I just, so it kind of was a disappointing reminder that for some, it's like maybe because how we're displayed in the media, part of it is, I don't know, but like, I'm like, can we start using like unique additives to describe unique people rather than defaulting to what society stereotype it should be? Because just because we happen to be, I think what that person was trying to say was we both have confident points of views. We'll say that then, like, cause I don't, I, I think fiery. I'm like, oh, so you think this because, okay, that, that just means shows me you're kind of lazy in thought. Anyways, right. I didn't go on that tangent, but oh no, that's okay. And I, I think you're right because I see the Latinos, the scope of Latinos, and I'm gonna use it loosely, changing because more and more are Latinos like you and I. I mean, that are from two different cultures because it's not necessarily a Latino marrying a Latino anymore. It's a Latino marrying an American and Latino marrying someone else, especially here. In the U.S., I mean, I know for my parents back in the 70s, my mom marrying someone from the U.S., that was not the thing to do. <laughs> I mean, they struggled in the sense, and not necessarily people being discriminatory, but more of the challenges of what was going on back then. If you weren't Catholic, <laughs> you couldn't get married in the church. They had to travel and get married in another country. But Seeing that dynamic of two people from two different cultures was just not common. And so now I'm seeing more people, I, I'm going to say Latinos because they're part Latino, like you and I that have these two different cultures. And you're right, we just cannot assume. <laughs> we cannot assume things anymore. No. I agree. And like, because the Latino community is not a monolith. Sure, we, we have certain right. characteristics, but like, a Cuban and someone from Argentina, like they have very, <laughs> you put them in a room together and besides like speaking the same language, they're probably gonna have very different cultural references, points of understanding, right? So just to, to your point, like things are evolving and also like we face the challenge of being perceived as one homogenous group when in fact it couldn't be farther from the truth and reality. Like it's a set of very distinct cultures, ethnicities, political identities, even religions in some cases, right? Mm -hmm. So anyways, yeah, we still fight that battle because we are not recognized in that way yet. I don't think absolutely the way we should be. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you, Ilona. I really appreciate you being here, spending your time with us and getting to know you better. I appreciate what you do and keep pressing forward and leading the way. Thank you so much, Jen. This has been so much fun. It never fails. With each guest, I learn something new. I have a fresh new perspective on some aspect of money or life, and this was no different. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Ilona as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. You can connect with her at bearandthebull.com. Remember, she also has a podcast, and you are a podcast listener, so you can look up her podcast called Money Memories. Now we are going to start back up. It's been a bit, I know, but we're going to start highlighting you, the listener, for Reina of the Week. And this week's Reina of the Week is Elba. She is one of our members in our membership program. And she shared that she took some time to go to an unclaimed money website. And if you message me, I'll be happy to provide those sites to you. And guess what? Just from taking a little time to do a little research, she got $500 in the mail. How about that? If after listening to this, you feel more empowered to think and do what is best for you, regardless of what other people say, I invite you to grab my daily dinero ritual, which will help you continue to increase your confidence in your financial journey. It's free and you can find it at jenhemphill.com forward slash ritual. Next week on the podcast, we will get to meet Carlos Hernandez, who is going to talk about the biggest fears and misconceptions of the Latinx community or the biggest misconceptions and fears we have around credit. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. Be sure to check out today's show notes at jenhempel.com forward slash 274. All the different main parts are really marked with a timestamp. So it'll be easy to go specifically to that part in the episode if you need to re-listen to something. Remember that being the reign of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.